There we go. Welcome to Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener. I'm Solyndran Buller, your host. Our guest today is Rhea Darcy Malloy. She's a writer, activist, communications expert, life coach, and artisan. Her passion is working with people and making the world a better place. That's why she is co-director and co-founder of Change-Making Communications. Welcome, Rhea. Oh, I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for including me in this wonderful circle of uplifting humanity. I feel very honored to be here. Thank you. Oh, we were just so excited when you accepted our invitation. So without further ado, I would love for you to just let the audience, anyone, any of the listeners out there that are not familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about who is Rhea and what has she done up to this point? And I know it's a whole lot. <laughs> well, as I was doing the bio, I thought, crikey. This has been a pretty darn good life. There have been yes. a lot of daunting challenges along the way, yes. um, undoubtedly, which is part of what led me to this work. Um, I had a very difficult number of earlier years. I was sexually molested and abused. I was uh, in the psych ward, then molested by the priest who was supposed to be helping me. Oh, goodness. So yes. It was, um, and it was a lot about father image stuff and patriarchy and so on so like so many other women my story is not unlike millions of others and when I first felt spirit whispers to write a book called I've been there a testimony of hope I was really well why would anyone want my story it's not unlike so many others but when David came into my life he heard my story and he said no it is no story is totally alike. And I think because I have turned my life into a testimony of hope, that's why I decided to write it. And consequently, that's what led me to do the work that now my co-partner, David, and I do. We work through our problems by looking at the core issue. And it took a lot of excavating for me to get to the point that I could finally let it go. It involved, I had 30 years of eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, laxative abuse, and of course, distorted body image that goes with all that. Hmm. And the message that I want to impart and what I have done and what led me here is that to never give up and never give in. As somebody had told me in when I was in the hospital having 129 electric shock treatments for Oh my goodness, I couldn't even imagine. And oh, I was yeah, yeah, yeah. misdiagnosed on top of it. I didn't <sighs> have schizophrenia, I did not have bipolar. They misdiagnosed it. And if someone had told me in my mid-20s that I would be here at 77, living my very best life, I would have thought they were crazy. And so when you ask who I am and what I'm about, I want to now, I'd spend my life encouraging others that please don't ever give up because everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you work through the beginning and middle and keep doing your spiritual work, keep uplifting yourself, keep uplifting others, you can get to the point where you can be as happy. I'm 
I am happier and healthier at 77 than I ever was in probably any of my other decades before. Isn't that something? I am, I am humbled at all the work that, uh, that you have done, every single um, step that you have taken on this green planet of ours. Um, it's just, it's amazing because, you know, you're right. Until you know someone's journey, I mean, you, I mean, obviously you've just told us your age. I wouldn't have, first of all, thought you were, you know, you don't look a day older than 60. So let's not even go down that road. But I mean, I mean, the, the, the challenges and the struggles. Now, were you like uh, through adoptive care? Were you going into like, how did all that, that, that start? I mean, was it right from birth or was it something that just kind of took a side turn at some point? It took a side turn. I can, when you read the earlier part of my book, I had a pretty idyllic childhood. I, I don't, I didn't have any siblings. So I was, I was a pretty blessed child. We grew up um, in a Catholic community and we were Protestants and all the other kids had a gazillion brothers and sisters. And I was the only one, but I had a very wise woman mom. And she said, you're not going to be one of those spoiled brats, you know. You're going to learn to share your toys. You're going to learn to have friends over. And she was the den mother. And uh, we used to have wonderful trips out to the lake. And my dad was um, um, the son of a butcher, so they had their own business. So I learned all about the law of predation. And I didn't find it creepy going into the butcher store. So I had a lot of really wonderful childhood lessons where I brought my love of nature. And wow. so in those earlier stages, then my grandmother died very suddenly and she was my, well, she was my everything, my nanny. And something happened around my dad. He had driven her home. She fell and she died instantly. And we still don't know what happened, but it started to change my dad. And he started to drink more. And my mom was a wounded spiritual um, survivor herself. Hmm. So she lived in that old, old paradigm of dad said, you do what I uh, say, not as I do. And so I got kind of caught in that dynamic of wanting to rescue and save mom. I wouldn't, I didn't want to take that crap from my dad. And so our family dynamic started to go down and it was sort of a gradual decline. Hmm. And then I just started, I went into modeling and it was so superficial and I left school early. And it was just like, I think a whole lot of lifestyle changes that by the time I was around 18, I started to get depressed. Also, the other part of it is my mom was a very gifted medium. If you can imagine in the 40s and early 50s, a Catholic community where my mother would read their tea leaves. And now that was the work of the devil for a lot of churches. And so I grew up with an expanded third eye because I think of my mom. And yes. what happened when I went in the psych wards, they said, well, do you hear voices? And I said, oh yeah, I hear voices all the time. We have a house angel named George. And he thought, and right away, they thought I was schizophrenic, when in reality, that was the norm for us at our house. Like, we, wow. we have spirits in the house. Mom reads leaves. That's the norm. That's and that right. was what got it all in motion. And once they get you in there, um, 
it was a new science. It was, you know, people either were lobotomized, they didn't know what they were doing. I was on naked doses of propranol, chlorpromazine, and all kinds oh of things. Oh my God. And when that Where was happened, this? Where was this and what age were you? I was, it was between probably 20 to 25, 26, somewhere in there. And this yeah. was in Manitoba or was this yeah. elsewhere? Yeah. In Manitoba. Wow. You see, we both share a beautiful country here uh, for our listeners out there. Our, uh, we're both uh, Canadian sisters. And yeah. so I'm on the West Coast and <laughs> she's in the Prairie Provinces. Yeah, you know, I love the West Coast. So we've both been out there. David lived out there for six years. So oh, great, great, great. Um, yeah, but you know, I mean, getting back to these horrific things that uh, unfortunately, um, in the earlier years, people were put through, uh, I could not even fathom um, at that age of 20, 25. And then um, having to go through all of this and now, was it faith that kept you going, or was it knowing that your truth was your truth that kept you going? Oh, that's a very good question. Actually, it was a mix of both. Hmm. My, mom, my mom always told me, she was such an odd mix. Um, uh, when David and I met, too, we see her as this really enlightened old soul who lived in fear, and she wouldn't move beyond her fear. She wouldn't heal her fear. So she had to put on a persona being an earth angel and she never really dealt with any of it. But anyway, oddly enough, in the mix of that, she always told me, you listen to your own heart. You listen to that inner knowing. It will guide you more than anything outward. And she instilled that. So then it was that. And because mom was very spiritual, because Nanny died and I believe she was one of my angels, and mom is a medium, so I opened to a lot of unseen things early. And that, so the combination of, damn it, there's got to be more than this, you know? That's so right. I had my own lodestar that I did have the strength to follow my own truth, but then I also have a very, very strong faith. So you pulled out of this whole ordeal with the hospital and, and, and doping you up and doing all sorts of crazy things. Um, coming back on the outside, um, how was that? How did you, how did you tiptoe out of the, <laughs> out of the four walls and into the world again? Well, what I had a childhood sweetheart who felt more like a big brother and Ron always believed in me and yes he I wasn't really I loved him but I wasn't in love with him but he was safe and yes. he wanted to marry me from the time we were kids so he came he had moved down the states came back and when he offered marriage I had an incentive I thought well I'm not going to marry you till I'm out of here you're not going to marry a crazy lady so I'm going to I'm going to get well to yes. the best that I could so I the doctor that I was had the most faith in he was a new psychiatrist so we kind of had this test model I think we were teaching each other he went out west to teach and when he left I thought I got to get out of the system I'm not going through this with anybody else so when I took a final I went if you're familiar with Selkirk Mental Hospital I went from one of the regular hospitals Grace Hospital and 
at that time and into Selkirk and I went in with the determination to wean myself off, get stop the shock treatments and get out. And I did. And oddly enough, as you can imagine, Sal, that they they released me and they started sending my medication through the mail. Oh my goodness. I didn't have a doctor, but I had the medication. <laughs> and they sent in this little brown package. And I thought, yes, this is in this nut. And if anybody could get the pills, anybody could take them, and I don't have follow up. So I just said, that's it. And I, within a couple of months, I took myself off all of them. And mm. I didn't have any therapist. And I really delved into my spirituality. And a year later, Ron and I were married. And, uh, it didn't work out, but it gave me that that step back into feeling like a more normal person. Normal person again. Wow. Now, may I ask, and pardon my ignorance, but what was shock treatment for? To get the angels out of you? Or I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I had schizophrenia. Oh, that's okay. I was diagnosed with schizophrenia because I hear voices. <laughs> oh my and oh. they did 129 i pulled my records after from um selkirk health center because i you know it's a pretty it's a pretty unusual story and i not that i think i need proof but i wanted it for myself i wanted to know how they diagnosed me how they saw me and with yes. it they sent an accompanying letter please don't sue us please don't sue us and we didn't really know what as much as saying we really didn't know what what we were doing Wow. I, I, I just could not even imagine. Now, uh, fast forward. Um, so Ron's out of your life. And um, at what point did you meet uh, the beautiful angel that you're married to now? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I needed to meet somebody else in between. In okay. In one. preparation for this one. That's all yeah. good. Um, yes. His name was White Winston Lotus, and I write about him a lot in the book. Yes. Uh, he was a combination of Navajo and Swedish, and he he had a very mysterious lifestyle away from me. I, we, as best as we could deduce, we think he did uh, remote viewing or something for the government. And so he was away a lot, but it worked out perfectly because I wasn't, I didn't feel deserving of him. So when he was away, I could do all my excavation. Yes. <laughs> I yes. come back and I'd be, hi, babe. <laughs> yes, yes. No, so, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Oh, so wow. So kind of preparation. And I, I finally had to let White go because I wanted someone to build a life with, like David. And White and I had only been apart for a year and a half, two years, and when he when David came into my life, I kept saying, well, you know, maybe one day White will come back. And, you know, and David says, I believe in us. I believe in the power of us. He said, I believe that if you give us a chance, White could come back and you'd still choose me. And that's true. <laughs> it's very prophetic. So that was kind of the three, three loves. And this is my... This is it. Wow. So uh, you became an author, uh, obviously, to share with uh, everyone about your, obviously, your journey. Um, and um, when you came out and you started to get on with regular life, were you still able to hear 
were you able to still feel and um, all of the things that go along with uh, um, having um, extra abilities uh, of communication? Yeah. Okay. It never, it never it, like it's as real, I, everything for me is energy-based awareness. I live in an energy-based world. So from yes. the time I was very little, all the material stuff was a fee. Like I didn't conceptualize all that as a child. And it's hard to write a book remembering parts of your perceptions from there, but I'm still telling it from my wise woman's side. So it's, it's, it's quite delicate, but the facts are as I remember them. Mm -hmm. But anyway, throughout my whole life, I've been living in energy-based awareness. I would pick up rocks and feathers. I've talked about that going on these. I've always loved nature. So whenever things were overwhelming, I'd take my dog and we'd walk along the riverside and I'd gather rocks and feathers and I'd feel their energy and always talking to the allies, as I call them. And uh, they always carried me through. And so many really synergistic things that happened. One of the things when I was nine, I also came through the polio epidemic prior to the assault. Oh, okay. It's so interesting right now. Something we might even want to talk about is I've met a lot of anti-vaxxers in my whole person journey in the New Agers, and I agree that some of the vaccines are kind of a not a great combination, but I lived through the polio epidemic before the salt vaccine. Yes. I saw people in iron lungs. I saw children. I woke up one morning, the child beside me was dead. Oh, my. And you see people on the ward. The beds were quite close together because there were so many people in quarantine. You yes. Something like that. Oddly enough, I had my first known miracle then. I was sick. They took me and they told my mom and dad I may not make the night because I had the bulbar polio and the bulbar polio is the one where your throat paralyzes and you end up either dead or in an iron lung. And the Catholic family that were our neighbors sent up an Avena to St. Jude and the doctors could not explain it and to this day I have the uvula just slightly tilted where there's a, just a little tiny sign of the paralysis. Wow. So that is a whole, I believe in allies, I believe in angels, I believe that they are with us. That's right. Oh, I definitely, I, I mean, I can share numerous stories of my own childhood and journey up to this point as well. Um, we that. We see you one day. <laughs> one day we will definitely, but definitely have to sit down and, and go over all of that. But um, um, now, um, that is all in your book and the name of that book is i've been there a testimony of hope uh, i've been there and a testimony of hope and that obviously uh, one can purchase that on amazon uh no actually it where it it has been it's 500 pages long so it's a very i'm i'm part i'm capricorn virgo, virgo libra uh, capricorn sun sign virgo rising sign in Libra and I have to battle my perfectionistic tendency. Oh, oh yes. And I have rewritten this book, David will tell you a gazillion times. We really are on the final proofreads. He bought me the program Grammarly. If any writers are out there, I highly recommend Grammarly. Um, and so we're doing the final proof and we're looking to a fall launch. And what we're doing is 
collecting names for interested individuals. We, if you want, we will, we're going to do a hard copy prepaid because we don't want to end up with a gazillion books and nobody to buy them. And yes. we're also going to make it available as a reader. I might even do an audio book, but we want it to be polished. So it'll be the fall. Wonderful. Well, put my name down uh, uh, because uh, I definitely can hardly wait to get my hands on that. Now, um, you have done some life coaching. Yeah, you've done. Okay, so discuss that uh, artistic side of you. I know you've got a beautiful artistic side. I'm sure everyone out there listening is probably wanting to know more of all the other incredible things that you're doing. Well, thank you. The life coaching came after I, how I healed. I had also, I was, as I touched on eating disorder for 30 years, I was anorexic, bulimic. I took up to 60 laxatives a day, but guess what, Sal? They were herbal. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> the rationale, that's okay, they're herbal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I needed to recover the root cause which was the dissociated memories of the sexual abuse which is where my first partner white fit in we did a soul recovery i recovered the memories of the abuse and you know within a year a 30-year pattern stopped wow when i got into this whole idea of root causes i thought i really need to i really need to start creating courses so my first courses were called wait no more w-e-i-g-h-t and I started running them in continuing education courses. And at that time, I was still bulimic off and on. And I told the group, I said, look, I'm not there yet, but I figured out a solution that if we can get to the root cause and then cognitively begin to change behavior, you can beat this. Mm -hmm. And they did. They started counting uh, how many times and what were their triggers. And I said, how I built the cycle before I wanted to eat and throw up. I made myself write what I was feeling down in a journal. Nice. So then I understood what the triggers were. And then I could have the choice of, well, maybe I could go for a walk. Maybe I could get a baseball bat and punch some pillows or something. You know, I can do something else. And I developed this you have to feel it to heal it mentality that a lot of people already are aware of. And I ran courses and they were so well received that he's developing level one, level two, level three. And it really came out of my desire to share what I had discovered. Because somewhere along my path, I read those who will walk through the fire and then transform like a phoenix need to have a moral responsibility to give it back. Isn't and that beautiful? Really what led me. That's why we don't even though we're at an age where a lot of our peers are retiring, retire from what? We love what we do. Why would we That's why right. would we retire? Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now, um, I know that uh, you're a communications expert. I know that uh, the love of your life and you are both uh, change-making communications experts. Tell, tell us about, uh, about that area of your life. Well, we developed this model cell called the DIAN model. And the D stands for desire, the I is for intent, the C is, no, the A is action, and then there's an equal, the C, it equals change. You try to refute that. You can have desire. I've got a whole gym room in one of our spare rooms. If I don't get on that bike, 
and I don't get on that ball and I don't lift those weights, I have the desire, it's sitting right in front of me, but I need the intent. Yes. And the intent is to get in there daily and do something. And when I have the desire and the intent and the action, my body changes, my life changes. And yes. people try to argue with us about it, but really you, it's a simple formula that anybody can apply. And it works. And if you, if you don't, if you have the desire and you don't have the intent, well then what's your resistance? It gives you a formula for you to sit back and go, well, I really want to do this. Why am I not doing it? Well, then you've got another self question that you can start to answer. So some of the change making communication stuff that uh, both you and David uh, bring up is, is that all, um, kind of self-questioning um, to have, you know, it's the quality of the questions sometimes that actually, you know, make you look at life and, and move forward. Is that kind of what change-making communication is about? Partly, we also have a group on Facebook and we encourage people to post what they would like to see changed. Like we have a young man that we are working with from Africa Yes, and um, he's a he's a young man, way beyond an old soul, way beyond his time. Same as Buki, and Buki posts all of the things that need to change in Africa in that group. Yes. So we have people come under that umbrella, and then they'll post things that something delightful that somebody is doing as a random act of kindness. So the umbrella is for all of us to give some thought every day. What can we do to be a change maker? And one of our models is let's just love more. Yes. I We have an older dad and she's very frustrating, especially when you're trying to write and edit and focus. My challenge, she's my challenge because I have to stop and say, I'm not going to get cranky with her. She's old and she's beautiful and I love her. That's my, a little change making that I do every day. I try to love her more. Yes. Uh, as a random act of kindness, you see somebody on the street having a rough day, and if you just say, Hi, how are you doing? You know, doing so good today? Give them a hug. Well, maybe not now with the coronavirus, but yes, yes. That, that idea of what we want to do is plant change making ideas and applaud each other when we do. That's why I love the name Uplifting Humanity. We need to do that. We're totally in line with you. That that uplifting humanity creates a ripple effect. Yes. And we all contribute to it. It gets a little higher and a little higher. And, That's and right. So when, you, when you contacted me, I was as excited. To, I just said to David, oh my goodness, I get such good feelings about this. Yeah. No, it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Now, if one wanted to get involved in the change-making communications Facebook group or whatever it is, can you tell our audience a little bit about that? How would one go about uh, becoming a change maker? Well, what we offer too is we do um, everything from one-on-one -on -one counseling, so people have, have an issue. We do it by, by Skype or by Facebook. We can do it by phone. Some people actually like doing it just by phone. Some people contact us initially and discuss what they're having a problem with because they don't want to be too transparent, and that's fine. We just want people to come according to their comfort level. So if we do counseling. We're available for public speaking. We have 10 fully developed interactive workshops with workbooks. Um, we're pretty flexible, and we develop, if somebody has a concept, 
that they want us to develop. Uh, we had a retirement place call us to do decluttering many, many years ago. So the best way to reach us is probably by email initially. We're a little iffy about giving out our cell phones uh, for privacy reasons. We will give it out after we know who we're talking to. That's right. Um, so the best way, Dave, um, our email is what? RD, RD, uh, RD for Ray and David, CM for change maker, and then communications at outlook.com. Perfect. That's wonderful. And that's for anyone that's interested in being a change maker. Now, getting back to, um, getting back to, I know that you had done a lot of women's studies, you have done creative writing, you've been a counselor, you've been a coach. Um, is there anything that you would like to touch on that we haven't been able to touch on that you feel is relevant and very, very important? Because I know you've got a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of understanding. I think the the biggest thing for people is to keep believing. We're living in really difficult times. And between the coronavirus and the upheaval in America, our, our brothers and sisters down south, people are really hurting. And, and I think we have to just keep believing that. Look at humanity. I mean, we've been here for centuries. We, we, we lose people, but if you have a spiritual realm, we have to let them go bless and release them rather like by the time my mom was 86 she had COPD she was hooked up to an oxygen tank and she'd look at me and say I'm so weary and you know we have to sometimes just gracefully let people go and so if we know there's a reason and a season not always a lifetime it still can give us hope that this isn't a dire ending like I think we have to keep believing and most of all, let's keep loving each other and stop all this judgment and diversity, you know, just divisiveness, judging people from the outside, bullying online. Like, we need to stop it. We really mm -hmm. do. So we need to get back to our humanity first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is basically what we're about. David and I, anyway, if someone calls us, we work, we, we have worked on an honorarium. Whenever anybody says, I want to work with you, I can't, I can't afford it. Well, I will say, well, what could you do for somebody else today? What could you give back? If we give to you, what could you do to give back? So that's kind of our message, though, is that we're here, we're at an age and stage in life. We don't know how long we've got, but we hope it's a good number of years yet. Yes. And also on aging, oh, golly, I get so many people, I had a 50-year-old in the thrift store the other day going on about, oh, I'm 50 and I'm this. Every decade, I go, 40s are going to be fantastic and fabulous and phasmagorical. 60s are going to be sexy and sensational. And my 70s are going to be spectacular and spiritual. My 80s are going to be expedaliocious and exceptional. It's going to flow. You want to uplift humanity? Well, first of all, uplift yourself. That's right. That's right. Start with, start with yourself and, and then move forward because that, that will create the ripple effect. And it does. Well, look at us. We, you have your expanded circle of uplifters. We have change makers. Now we've come together. Think of a ripple effect already. Our yes. allies are smiling. They're going, 
Ah, we put these two together. That was good synergy. <laughs> yes, yes. No, definitely. Now, I'd like for you to share a story of someone very interesting, someone that just kind of has never the memories of that person, whether they're around or not, um, still resonate with you, you know? Oh, my goodness. There have been so many. Mm -hmm. um, really, I mean, of course, my mom, white. Um, but there was one, we do a lot of work with First Nations. Um, we have worked on reserves with at-risk children. We cut, we did um, anger management courses for men who were into domestic violence. And one of the elders, um, Joe, he, I was having, I was coming off being a vegan vegetarian because it was not agreeing with my system. And I talked to Joe and Joe looked at me and he always wore Stetsons too. And he said, listen, my dear, God gives us everything. Everything is for us. He said, if we eat animals, we do it with respect. We thank that animal. He said, there is a law of predation. Everything dies so everything else can live. My dad taught me that too as a butcher. Mm -hmm. And Rev said, as long as we do everything with respect and humility and grace and gratitude, we will continue to raise and show God, and I believe in God, show our love, show our gratitude and express it freely. Yes, yes. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I know that it's, there's a huge shift that's going on. Yeah. A huge shift on on Gaia here. Um, what can you what can you share with the listeners? Is important at this time of great change, of fast change, of going into the unknown, of life not quite unfolding the way we were used to. What would you, what could you share with them as, as something that will help moving forward? Well, if we examine what really matters, I think it will be easier. Mm -hmm. Ever since we have become like, I love my phone, I value the internet connection, but we, I could live without it because I'm, I'm of nature. I could go lose myself off the grid and David too, and take, we, we don't have kids, but we are soon to be four, three dogs and a cat. We bundle up our animals and live off the grid. So it's examining as Gaia is changing, as shortages are happening, as people are, are dying and will die with the flu, as there's tremendous upheaval, as I said, in the political uh, divisiveness down south of us. I think we need to get back to basics, humanity first. Let's get away, go into nature, and let's do what we can every day. I used to run the water when I brushed my teeth because I never thought anything different. Now I turn it off. We recycle, we repurpose, we reuse. Let's try to think of the problem solving with these global earth changes that we're experiencing, and let's work on resolving it rather than noticing and worrying that we're losing it. We're losing it because of the choices we're making. So if we use the DIAC model, what's our desire? What is our intent and what action can we take? Every little bit does help, just like you and I are talking about the ripple effect of energy. If everybody started 
looking for solutions for what Gaia is suffering with, what's for, and let's be problem solvers and change makers rather than just, if we do nothing, we're part of the problem. Right. So it goes back to the old, it starts with you and it ends with you. What are you willing to do? Yes. And I think it can be the little things. Like when David takes a big clear bag of recyclables down to the recycling center, I feel good because, and we're in an agricultural community and we have a very wealthy, beautiful soul farmer who puts everything into perspective about the pesticides and and like the, the, I've seen people toss um, the aluminum cans out the window and just saw and posted, we have another group called Earthing Earthlings. And here when they, when they bail up the hay, those aluminum get caught, they're shreds and the cow's noses get all cut. Like don't throw your, all that stuff that sounds so basic is what we can do to help diet. And maybe yeah. modify your lifestyle a little bit. Like, how can you save on electricity? How can you save on water? And what can you do outside that'll make you appreciate Gaia more than just sitting in front of a phone? Right. No, uh, definitely. You know, um, I know one of the posts that I had done just because you had said uh, a farmer, and I think um, it was the farmer is the only man in our economy. Uh, who buys everything at retail, sells everything at at uh, wholesale, and pays the freight both ways? That was John F. Kennedy who said that. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's amazing um, what the farmers do, what they put up with, and yet the they are they are forgotten. And I'm speaking because I know my husband's a farmer. Oh, <laughs> Well, you know what? The other thing I think people could do, and maybe this is something where your husband is, the farmers are losing a voice, I think, in mainstream media, too, that we need the farmers to come on and talk about Monsanto and talk about uh, GMOs and talk about the things that everybody collapsed and went, you know, their tongue's leg, but they don't understand why they're doing it and what they need to do and how, how, like, the friend that we're talking about had said to David, if there weren't certain pesticides, we'd never be able to feed all the people that need the food, you know? Yes. And yes. most farmers that we know out here, they give the, well, our friend has his cow sitting with his head in his lap when it's sick until the vet gets there, you know? I mean, if people don't take care of their animals and take care of their land, they don't have the food that we eat. And I think maybe Maybe you should have more farmers on to give them a voice so people have an awareness. We had one woman in one of our classes say, oh, we don't need farmers. I get everything I need from the grocery store. <laughs> she was serious. <laughs> and the whole class went, what? <laughs> and that's how unaware some people It's not a judgment. It's what they're, what they're conditioned to. That's right. That's right. Wow. Well, you know, um, the, the last question that I have is, what is your greatest challenge right now? <laughs> to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, no. I really, really say what I think. It's a good thing I don't have 
public comments over my head. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> when I watch the news, it's like, oh my gosh. And trying to be hard-hitting to a speaker without offending people because people are so sensitive these days. And yes. it's really tough because sometimes you just would like to spit it out and, and say, Cranky, smart, and up. Have you ever listened to yourself talk? Yes. But you can't. No. So you have no. to find a more delicate way. And I still do it. I think as long as we try to speak at iMessages, because I never really want to come across as judging anybody because I've been there. And everybody functions at their level of awareness. And so if you're on a different level of awareness, you don't want to go, oh, you silly, blah, blah, blah. Because they're doing, I really believe everybody's doing the best they can with where they are. That's right. So our That's goal right. is to try and help them tilt their kaleidoscope a little bit mm -hmm. so they can make the choice to do it differently, take a higher path. Mm, yes, yes. So what's a typical day in Rhea's life? What's a typical day? How do you start off? How do you go in the middle and how do you end that day? Well, we are very fortunate that we set our life up that we're entrepreneurs. Our time is our own. We're not yes. rolling in, in you know, and we have enough to live a comfortable life. And right. that's all we ever wanted. Right. We worked hard. Our house is paid for. So we have utilities. That's why we can give back because we're not having to worry. If somebody needs our help, we can donate it or we can work on an honorarium, whatever. So our day begins, I must say, I open my eyes and I thank the divine God and goddess for another day of life. And then I roll over and I look at my sweetie. <laughs> that starts my day with a smile. And then he, he's a wonderful cook. He's got all that and he loves to cook too. So he toddles down and, and uh, feed, that's the dog, so feeds the cat. And I meditate and then we have coffee together. That's how our day starts. And then we... We set our priority list for the day as to what we would like to get done. And then we support our, each other. Right now, my days are a lot, doing a lot of editing. And then David has heard this book a bazillion times. So then we reread a final, final chapter and put it in the bag. And then I'm also a, a wood artist. And we love to go out in nature. We forage. We collect wood. And I make a whole variety of Sometime I could show, so show you, actually show the viewers how to do it if they ever wanted a show and tell. I love to encourage people, speaking of Gaia, get out in nature, pick those rocks, leave an offering of sage or, or tobacco or, <coughs> pardon me, cornmeal, whatever. We leave something. And so I do my wood art some days. We have the pets or we have a small Excuse me, there's your water. <laughs> um, we have a small circle of friends that we, we socialize with. Come spring soon, we're going to be out in the gardens. We are avid gardeners. Lovely. And, that that uh, is awesome. And then we do, David, uh, I wasn't interested in politics in the least when we first met. And he, he did a little critical thinking style. He said, you believe everything's interconnected, right? Of course. Well, then how can you not pay attention to what our leaders are doing? Because their decisions affect everybody else. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we are quite, 
quite interested in politics, foreign affairs, with that whole idea of interconnection and, and um, what affects them, what affects us. Right. So you're quite uh, involved in that. Well, that's that's social great. Media, social media, blogging, freelance writing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, no, yeah. that's wonderful. Wonderful. It's kind of flex, though. Some days there's clients. Some days I write. Some days I do wood art. Soon we'll be in the garden. Some days we're with friends. Some nights we have a lovely dinner and a bottle of wine. <laughs> See, and you do. You're you're living life. You're experiencing life, and you're doing what you love. And yeah. that's, that's the key. I, I believe that is the key, you know, step out of your way and just do what makes your, you know, puts a smile on your face without, without uh, getting someone else all riled up and, and questioning, you know, Doctor, is this real? I, yeah, one of the things we ask people, if I was your fairy godmother and I could grant three wishes, lifestyle, relationship, what would they be? And if you can get people to ask themselves that, take all the reasons why you can't do it. In an absolutely perfect environment, all the ducks were in a row. You had your choice to live life this way. What would it be? And that's how we arrived where we are. I always wanted to live in the country. We were born and raised city people. And we set our sights. And we, we scraped and and we've been through some rough times financially, but we never gave up. We wanted a big rambling house with three dogs, three or four dogs, cats, lots of plants, gardening, and to be able to give back. And we had to take a lot of mundane jobs in order to get there, but you've got to have that lodestar dream to make it happen. And so oh, anybody can do it. We didn't, we, we didn't come from wealthy means. We're still not wealthy today, but we feel we are abundantly blessed, which is a difference. That's right. That's right. You're, you're wealthy in other ways. Yeah. Well, this, this comes uh, to the end here, and it has, um, man, the time flies. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to share. Um, uh, I know that you've got an upcoming book coming out in the fall. And also, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, can you please let us know uh, how one would do that? Okay. Well, my if people want to get to me personally, it's rayastar at gmx.com. That's the easiest one. Okay. And the book, uh, what we are doing is we are taking names of interested people. They can just, it's not a commitment. We're not going to hold you to it. But we're taking names of people who may want either a hard copy or to know when, when we release the book online. Uh, so the um, address, email address for the book is ibtbook at gmail.com. Perfect. And I will definitely put both of those emails uh, just under the podcast, under the bio description of what the podcast is about. And we'll also make sure that is added uh, in the YouTube as well. So in case anyone is interested and make sure my name is on top of that list because I need my I need my book and I want to make sure that I get it before it gets sold out. So 
<laughs> yeah. So again, I thank you so much from the bottom of my uh, heart. And uh, I'm uh, Solyndran Buller, your host at Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener with real stories and expert advice. I encourage everyone to go to upliftinghumanswithas.com and please share with friends and family. We have a new published uh, uh, podcast as well as YouTubes every Sunday. Please uh, take a look at that. Until next time, I'm Slyndra Buller. Have yourselves a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you.